This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Good morning, church. So glad that uh, you've come out today to worship the Lord. We're kicking off a brand new series today called There is a Light. If you came here last week, we just wrapped up our Galatians series. And if you happen to miss it, not only did we wrap up going through the entire book of Galatians verse by verse, but I also laid out some of the goals that God had given us in the beginning of the year and where we were at on those goals, kind of a mid-year report, mid-year update. It was really exciting to see how out of all the goals that uh, we believe that we uh, uh, were chasing after, that were led and directed by the Lord, that uh, we as a church family have seen over 70% of those accomplished. And that was really encouraging and exciting. And we look for great things to come uh, the remainder of this year as we just continue to press into God and see Him doing what He's doing. So if you missed that, I would encourage you to go online or go on the app and listen to that, and uh, it'd be a real encouragement for you, just to let you know where we're at as a church. If you're checking Word of Grace out, it'd also let you know kind of where we're going, what we're doing, and what God has been doing in the church. So um, it's, it's a little, little uh, bit on the uh, numbers and facts and figure side to some extent, but uh, it's packed with vision and direction as well. So just to give you a heads up on that, we're going to kick up this series about just going into uh, teaching about even though there's culture and there's all these things around us that would try to dictate for us uh, what, how we should be, how we should live, we believe that in the middle of the darkness of our culture that there is a light and His name is Jesus. Amen? Amen. And that we're called to shine that light in our world and we're going to talk about a lot of various things throughout this series talk about how um, we can move forward uh, as married couples, how we can move forward as parents, how we can move forward as Christians, as a church, how we can move forward as employers, employees, all sorts of different things that we're going to cover throughout this series about how God has called us to be a light and how we're to navigate relationships and how we're supposed to show forth the love of God. So make sure you come to to, to this series and just uh, get involved and let's grow in the Lord together. Before we open up our, our Bibles today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word with our church family yet again. Thank you, Father, that everyone that's here under the sound of my voice, God, I believe that they're here on purpose, for a purpose, God, and it's not just happenstance that they woke up and came to church today. I believe, Lord, that people are here because, Lord, you desired for them to be here, and they listened and obeyed, and they're here, and they're ready to receive. I pray, God, that you would just awaken our hearts to be hungry for your truth, And not only to hear your truth and receive your truth, but to apply it to our lives. I pray whatever needs to happen, Holy Spirit, I pray it happens in every single heart today. And no person leaves this place the way they came in, but will leave changed, inspired, challenged, whatever needs to happen. We put that in your hands today, and we just trust you for those results, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, if you have your Bible, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You can also follow along on version if you have that app downloaded. Just simply go through the menu to the live section and you should be able to search for a live event in your area and Word of Grace should pop up. You'll be able to follow along with my notes as well as make notes of your own and then uh, send those to yourself in a PDF. So take advantage of that uh, free technology that we have there uh, if you have your smartphone or something uh, comparable to it that can get that app on there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1. Let's read 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 1. It says, Finally then, brethren... We urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk 
and how you ought to please God. So here's the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he's telling them, listen, guys, I'm going to talk to you about how you need to be walking. These are a Greek people who have recently been converted. They've received the gospel message. They didn't grow up exposed to to God. Their God was the, the, the Roman Greek gods that were worshipped, and so that was how they believed and how they served. And here's Paul coming in and taught them the truth. They believed the truth. Now he's going to teach them how you need to walk. Verse 2, for you know what the commandments that we gave you when we taught you through the Lord Jesus. This is the will of God for your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you should know how to possess his own vessel or your own body in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this manner, because the Lord is the avenger of all, such as we have forewarned you and testified. God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but rejects God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another." And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business and get to work with your hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you will lack nothing. Now, we know that God is love. We know that's his very nature. That's his DNA. That's who he is. God doesn't just love us. He is love. That's who God is. And we know that God has called us to walk in love. And you see here where Paul's writing to this church in Thessalonica. And one of the things that he tells them to do is that you were taught by God how to love. Now, did God come down and say, all right, attention class, I'm going to give you the 101s on love. No, that's not what Paul was saying here. God didn't come down and and specifically teach each individual how to love from a classroom setting. No, what he's saying is that if you look back earlier, he said, the Holy Spirit is in you. He has given you his Holy Spirit. And because his spirit is dwelling in you and his nature is love, through the Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of you, the fruit of that living on the inside of you should be love. You should be displaying evidence of the nature of God in you. That's how God has been teaching you. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, Christ as your Lord and Savior, and He has made you alive together with Him, and He dwells in you. He has been teaching you who He is, and you've been growing in His nature, not the way you used to be, because before you knew God, you acted the way that you wanted to act. You lived the way you wanted to live. You were very selfish-driven, He said, but that's the way that people who are Gentiles or those Greek people that didn't know God act. And He said, you're not supposed to act like that now. You're called to be set apart. So let's see that evidence of God's Spirit at work on the inside of you, teaching you how to love, not teaching you to just keep doing the same things you were doing. Because walking in the love of God is how we please God. We please God through trusting in Him, through having faith in Him. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. I have faith in what? In who He is. Who is He? He's love. So when I walk in that love, I'm pleasing God. You see, true love is one that is led by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Not this world's definition of love, because this world has its own idea and its own definition of what love is. I like to call it if love. What if love does is it will only love you or accept you as long as you do what I want you to do. So in other words, I will love you if you do this. 
I will love you as long as you do that. And it's based on all these different contingencies and circumstances. And if all my needs are met, if everything I want you to do is met, and it's all driven by me and my selfish nature. But the love of God is not like the if love of the culture of our world. The love of God is one that says, I'm going to love you while you're yet a sinner. I'm going to love you when you didn't measure up. When you didn't have everything all together. I'm going to love you right in the middle of your failures and all of your worst circumstances. That's when I'm going to choose to love you. Because my love doesn't have limits. It's as far as the east is from the west. My love uh, has no uh, parameters on who I will love. He said, I am love. That's who I am. And I'm going to love you and accept you. Now, for us to accept God, we're accepting who He is, accepting His love. And His love should transform us. It's a transforming love. It's not a stagnant love that just says, do whatever you want. It's a love that should change us to reflect His glory and His nature and who He is. So here's what Paul's doing, all right? Paul is expressing to this church in Thessalonica that they need to be led by the Spirit of God and focus on what he is, on his very nature, focusing on love because Paul knows the great darkness of the area of Thessalonica. It's an area that's highly sexualized, an area where a lot of the pagan worship rituals included going and and buying temple prostitutes. There were actually prostitutes in the temple for sale that people could buy to go in and to have sex with in an act of worship to those pagan gods. And this is the type of stuff that's happening as worship in the community and in this area, very dark. And all of this stuff was extremely acceptable. These Thessalonians grew up in it. Why would they think it was bad? It was normal to them. It was what they had been exposed to. And let me tell you, there's a great darkness in our culture and a hyper-sexualized culture that we live in where everybody just thinks everything's okay. And well, I guess if everybody thinks it's all okay, then it makes it okay. And here's Paul saying, no, just because this is the culture you've been exposed to, that doesn't mean that it's okay. Because if the love of God is at work in your heart, it needs to be changing who you are. The love of God changes us, amen? It's not something where we just float through life and go, oh, I'm loved by God, and I'm just going to live however I want and do whatever I want. No. The love of God challenges me and changes me and makes me into a vessel that can be used for His glory that's going to be reflecting His goodness at work in my heart. Now, here's the thing. Paul's reminding the church in Thessalonica that they are called to sanctification. That means that they're gradually growing and changing more and more into a vessel that is reflecting the goodness of God at work in their lives. And he's saying, you need to abstain from sexual immorality by walking in true love and allowing that love to be the light that's coming through you. I know it's acceptable to do all these things in your culture. I know no one thinks it's a big deal. I know you grew up thinking this is the right way and the way that we worship. I know that you grew up in all this perversion, but it's not okay is what Paul is saying. He said, abstain from sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? What does that even mean? That sounds like a church term that no one really knows what it means, so we make up our own definition. Well, here's what that term sexual immorality in the New Testament means. The word that translates into the Greek is the word porneia. I'm going to let you guess what English word translates from the word porneia. Pornography is where that word comes from. So sexual immorality is the Greek word porneia. 
It's also translated as whoredom, fornication, and idolatry. It means surrendering of sexual purity. And it's primarily used in premarital sexual relations. Now, from the Greek word, we get the English word pornography, stemming from the concept of selling off of one's self. So sexual immorality is the selling off of sexual purity, and it involves any type of sexual expression outside the boundaries of a biblically defined marriage relationship. Now, what is a biblically defined marriage relationship, you ask? Jesus said in Matthew 19 and verse 4 and 5 that a covenant marriage in the eyes of God is a marriage between one man and one woman. That's what the Bible says. Oh, I didn't hear a whole lot of amens on that. I don't know if anybody's scared to amen anything like that. But I'm not afraid to say it because it's what Jesus said. I'm not afraid to say it because it's what Jesus said. I'm not going to apologize for it. So this is what Jesus said. He said, listen, this is the way that sex and all of the things within the confines of that remain pure is if you do it my way. Because it's God's way and it's the best way and we have to trust Him in that. But our world would say, oh no, we don't have to do it that way. We're going to do it our own way. We're going to do our own thing how we want to do it. And we're letting our flesh and our selfishness drive our behavior and drive our culture and allow us to think that just because everybody else does it in the culture and the culture accepts it, that it's okay for everyone. What does God say? Folks, we've got to have something to stand on besides what's popular. Oh, come on, somebody. We've got to have something to stand upon besides what is culturally acceptable. I'm not going to let culture navigate and dictate what's okay in my life. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit of God and His Word dictate and define for me where I'm supposed to go, what I'm supposed to do, and how I'm to live my life for the glory of God. Amen. That's the standard that is exalted above man's opinion, man's ideology, or what's okay in the culture. Man, I remember when I was a kid... I was about 12 years old when we got our first computer, and it was a big deal. This is like in the early 90s. Wasn't a lot of kids in my neighborhood that had computers, so I felt special. We had a computer in our house, and the World Wide Web had come out. And we were so excited. Al Gore discovered the Internet, so we all got to play. <laughs> Sorry. So we all got to get online. And so anyways, what we did, what we did was we got one of those CDs that came in the cereal box. You remember the AOL? You'd get like five hours of the AOL and you're like, I'm buying that cereal because I am going to get online. You put the CD in and it goes, and 30 minutes later, you were online. And it was amazing. Now I'm on the World Wide Web. I'm surfing the information superhighway catching some waves, and it was fantastic. And I remember the first time back in the early 90s when everybody was just first starting to get online. I mean, it was just such a big deal, and we were so excited. And I remember my mom, my sweet little mother, my innocent little mother had heard that you could go and tour the White House on the Internet. Well, I lived in Arkansas. Shoot, we ain't never been to the White House. I was excited. I want to see the president's house. So we got online. And we connected and typed in whitehouse.com. Well, whitehouse.com, those of you who are saying, oh, no, the reason you know is because you probably thought, oh, I'm from Wisconsin. I never been to the White House once. And so you got online and thought you would go to whitehouse.com and you know what you saw. It's a pornography website. It's terrible. 
And we thought, wow, my goodness, here I am, 12 years old. I got exposed to pornography for the very first time with my mother there. <laughs> we thought we were going to see where Bill Clinton lived. And, and, and we thought we kind of had seen what's left. But anyway, no, I'm sorry. Uh, man, man, I need to stop. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> All right. So anyways, <laughs> that was bad. But anyways... All right, so Jesus, right, Bible. All right, so, you know, I mean, and then I remember about 10, fast forward 10 years, I'm, I'm a youth pastor, um, in my early 20s, I get in, invited to speak at a True Love Waits type, uh, purity type conference thing. And when I went to the conference, um, when we were done with, when I was done speaking on purity, uh, we broke up into like small groups. And I got to deal with a group of uh, young boys, and they were about 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, somewhere in that age bracket. And we were in a small room, and I began to talk to them about the dangers of pornography and things like that. And every boy in the room was like, yeah, well, you know, I do this, and I do that, and I do this. And everybody was just talking, like everybody does it, and it's no big deal. And it wrecked my heart, because I'm sitting here looking at these, you know, 11, 12, 13-year-old boys they're sitting here talking about pornography like it's no big deal just because everybody else looks at it. And I go, wow, it just showed me a picture. And that was probably 10, 12 years ago that that happened when I spoke there. And it's progressively gotten more and more evil. It's progressively gotten more and more addicting and more and more accessible. And in our culture, it's become more and more acceptable. Sexual sin has become more and more acceptable in our culture. It's become more and more acceptable because it's everywhere. Oftentimes when we're overexposed to anything, we just get tired of fighting battles. We get tired and we just eventually give in because, oh well, everybody else does it. But here's the thing. We as believers are called to abstain from sexual immorality. We're called to be a light that shines in the darkness. So that means the world has its own set of values, tenets, and rules, and we as believers don't have to play by those rules. Amen? Amen? We are called to be uh, rebels and rebel against the system of the world that is set up to keep us chained and enslaved to bondage and sin. We don't have to play by the rules. You see, walking in love changes me because when I focus on love, it enables my life to be a light to the world of the goodness of God. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't struggle. It doesn't mean that there aren't temptations in this world, whether they're sexual temptations, financial temptations, whether it's gossip, slander, lying, cheating, backbiting. Regardless of the sin, whatever the temptation is, the difference between my position as someone who has lived in the darkness and someone who now lives in the light should be that the things that were once acceptable in my life, now because of Jesus, are not acceptable. Amen, somebody? You see, before Christ... I didn't care. Everybody else was doing it. I would justify anything anyone would try to tell me was wrong. I didn't care. I did what I wanted to do. I parted it up. I lived it up. 
But then when Christ came into my life, He changed my heart. And because His Holy Spirit dwells in me and His love, His nature dwells in me, the things that I used to enjoy and want to do, now I'm going, these things don't glorify God and they're not helping me move forward in life. They're actually hindering me, even though I may still be tempted, even though I still may be tried, even though I may still fall into that temptation. It doesn't matter anymore because I've been forgiven, I'm free, and now I don't want those things in my life anymore. And now the love of God is transforming my heart. The things that I used to indulge in, in my selfishness. That's what Paul's saying. He's telling the Thessalonians. It's the love of God at work in your heart. He said there's going to be fruit from a life that is wrapped up in Christ. God didn't call us to uncleanness, but He called us to holiness. He wants us to focus on His love because when we receive His love, when we receive His mercy and His forgiveness, it changes us, it transforms us. It doesn't allow us to stay stagnant and bound to the chains and the slavery of sin. Amen? Christ's love sets us free and then He puts us on a new path. And now, yeah, I may be tempted But I know that the love of God is navigating my life and and I repent and I turn from my sin and and, and I walk with other people who are helping to sharpen me and helping me to grow in this loving God and loving other people because it pleases God. Because when I walk in love, His glory is shown through me. You see, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God help us to grow in sanctification. This is the evidence of a new life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you should be growing and changing. Amen? Amen. That's part of the journey, man. We're not just coming here to punch in the time clock so we think God will answer our prayers when we have some type of thing happen in our lives. We're showing up and gathering together because we want to grow and we want to change and we want to be more like Christ. And we want to show His light to the world. You see, His love and His truth reveals my selfishness. It does. It reveals my selfishness. It reveals the areas of my life that are still over in the darkness. That He's going, no, that's not who you are anymore. That's not your identity. Your identity is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. I want you to be free from that. I paid the price for you to be free from that. So why are you allowing that to ruin, ruin and control and dictate your life? I'm wanting you to understand my love for you. I'm wanting to pull you more over to where you're going to be able to enjoy that freedom that I paid for you so you can show the world my goodness, so you can show the world my love, so you can allow the love that you've received to be given to others. You see, here's the thing. When I see truth, and it does reveal my selfishness, I have a choice. What am I going to do with that? Am I going to try to ignore that spotlight being on that area of selfishness in my life? Am I going to be broken over it and repent? Or am I going to get hard over to that in my heart and say, no, God, I'm not going to hear that. I'm not going to go to that church anymore. I'm not going to read that scripture anymore. I'm not going to hear that preacher anymore. I'm not going to listen to that message anymore. I'm going to go try to escape that, that, that challenge that I'm feeling on my heart. I don't, that doesn't agree with, with, with what I want to do. Yeah, but what does God say? What does God say? You see, when I see the truth, I have a choice. And if I submit to that truth, that is God loving me because He's wanting to reveal Himself through me. He's wanting to show His glory through me. It may not be fun. Let me tell you, God punched me in the gut last week, okay? And I was like, oh, 
I was working out at the gym on the treadmill, and I had my earphones, and I was listening to a podcast. And the minister I was listening to said something, and I had to stop the treadmill and go, oh my gosh. You see, I'll, I'll be real vulnerable with you and tell you what it was. The thing that he said on the podcast was he was talking about being selfish and not thinking about your spouse or thinking about other people. And one of the things that he said is he said, anytime that you're in your marriage and you're not serving one another, it's because in some way, shape, or form you think you're better than that person. <laughs> and I went, <laughs> Started thinking about the areas of my life where I hadn't been serving my wife and I started thinking, those are areas in my life that to some degree I think that I'm better than her. And I went, ooh, I had a choice in that moment. I could ignore or I could repent. And then God began to punch me a little bit harder in another area because that applies to everything, not just marriage. I began to think about how I love people, how I treat people, and how I'm being a light to the world in the darkness. And there are certain people that it's just easy for me to love. And I'll be honest, there's some people it's a little bit more difficult. <laughs> you know? I, I, I mean, and, and here's the funny thing. The thing that I found out that I struggled with that I didn't even know I struggled with until I heard that word and until God chastised me and in His love revealed my selfishness. The thing that I struggled with was that I have no problem loving people who are struggling. My problem is I have a, I have a hard time loving the Pharisee. The person that thinks they're better than everybody and thinks they're more spiritual than everybody. That's the person I struggle loving because I think I'm better than that person. And sometimes people who aren't in that pharisaical type mindset that think they're super spiritual and think they're better than everybody, because they're not that way, they think they're better than those people. And because you think you're better than someone, you won't serve them the way you would serve someone else. You won't love them the way you love someone else. And I got convicted of that as a pastor. I started thinking, wow, people who are in that pharisaical mindset, I was like an anti-pharisee pharisee. Pharisee. (laughs) That's really what I was and, and, and what I struggle with. I shouldn't say was. I mean, I, I still am. I struggle with it to a certain degree. It's like an anti-Pharisee Pharisee where in my own way, I'm, I, I'm, I'm doing the same thing that those people do, but I'm just doing it to them. Wow. You see, but that's God loving me. If God never called me on the carpet about that stuff, He wouldn't love me. If, if I let my kids do whatever they wanted to do in the house, let them just run the house and do whatever, that's not me loving them. That's me being a bad parent. If I didn't ever discipline my children, put them in a corner, discipline them, take things away from them, ground them from things, however I choose to discipline, I, I'm, not, I'm not being a good parent if I just let them get away with everything. I just yell at them and, 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 and call them names and put them down to try to control their behavior. No, I, I, I need to stop. I need to discipline them properly the way God instructs me to. Because I do it because I love them, not because I want them to be my buddy. You know what? I'm more interested in you knowing what's right and wrong and you succeeding and growing in life than I am concerned with what you think about me in this moment. And that's the decision a parent has to make. What would make God any different towards us, who is our Father? Our Father loves us, yeah, but because He loves us, He chastises us. Amen? Amen? He disciplines us. That's what the Bible says. Those whom I love, I rebuke. That was God rebuking me last week, going... You need to love the Pharisee. Oh, my goodness. Oh, 
You need to love the Pharisee because you want to please me. You need to grow in sanctification in this area, buddy. Just because you're a pastor means diddly squat. God is not impressed that I'm a pastor. He's not. He doesn't go, oh, well, you're a pastor. You get a slide on this one. No, he said, I'm calling you on the carpet. You need to repent. You need to be broken over it. That's how you're going to grow in sanctification. And now you see what it does. The love of God shown on my sin. It caused me to be broken. It caused me to repent. And now guess what? I'm going to be serving people in a new way that I hadn't served them before because of what God's love had done in my heart. You see, isn't that cool? Now that's how that works. If you want to clap, go ahead. Don't leave my buddy hanging. (laughs) But here's the thing. That's how we become the light of the world is when we submit to His truth and what He's doing in our heart. When we allow His love to shine into our heart and then we submit to that and then other people get to benefit from what God is doing in us and it shows how good He is. Because you see, I'm not up here telling you how good Derek is. Actually, I'm a little embarrassed to tell you about the pride that I had in my life thinking I was better than someone else. But yet at the same time, I know it will be more beneficial for you to know that. Because it's going to help you to know, hey, there's areas in my life where I struggle. And God wants His love to penetrate that place in your heart. You don't have to play by culture's rules just because the culture is dark. Amen? Amen. Don't justify the darkness. Oh, snap. Don't justify the darkness. Don't make excuses for the darkness. Instead, allow God's love to lead you and guide you into all truth. Amen? Amen? You see, walking in love is not only how I treat another person, but it's how I respond to God. Walking in love means I allow the hard areas of my heart and the hard areas of my head to be submitted to the Holy Spirit and to be submitted to the Word of God because the Word and the Spirit always agree. And then His love increases in my heart and God's love increases as we focus on Him and others. That's what happens. Love increases in my life as I focus on God and I focus on others. Love decreases when I focus on my own selfish agenda. That's when love in my life will decrease is when I'm more concerned about what I get out of the deal. When I'm more concerned about my own individual agenda and my likes and my dislikes and what's in it for me. And when I'm focused on all that, man, love is decreasing steadily and the light is growing dimmer. But the more I began to allow my focus to be on serving others and loving God and loving people, then what happens? That light grows bigger and bigger. That light shines in the darkness. Matthew 22, 34 through verse 40 says this. Jesus was tested by a Pharisee. He wanted to try to catch him, trip him up. Verse 35 says one of them asked him a question. He said, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Trying to see what Jesus said. You know, trying to catch him and and get him to say something stupid. But Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two things. These two commands hang all the law and all the prophets. That means everything that any prophet ever said. That means that anything that was ever dictated in the Old Testament as law, as from the law of God, that he says, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. He said, guess what? You won't have any problem if you focus on these two things because these are the drivers in, 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 uh, in doing all of those things that God, that will bring him glory and that would uh, benefit us in our lives. Is that if we just love God and love people, It'll cause us to serve. It'll cause us to give selflessly because it's not about me anymore. It's about how can I love God more? How can I love other people more? Because if I love what God loves, then I'm going to love people naturally. You see, there's a great temptation, though. 
to stray away and become distracted from loving God and loving others. It's a great temptation to be distracted. We get distracted by desiring to be right. Oh, let me say it again. We get distracted from loving God and loving others when we desire to be right. And in our rightness, we begin to think that we're better than other people. We want so badly to be right. And for everyone to know how right that we are and how wrong everyone else is, that we forget to love God and love others. And here's the killing thing. Even though you want everyone to know how right you are, the killing thing is is that you may actually be right. And the other person may actually be wrong. But if your desire to be right outweighs your love and your concern and your care and your willingness to serve other people, you're missing the point and you're wrong. If your desire to be right and for everyone to know how right you are outweighs your compassion and your love for other people, you've all of a sudden slid into pride and you're in the wrong. But the problem is you think you're right. We need that love of God to show us our pride and our foolishness and our brokenness and go, oh my God, how I need you. To whom much is given, much is what? Required? Have we been given much? Have we been forgiven much? Have we been shown much love, grace, and mercy? Amen? So what are we supposed to do with that? Hold it all in for ourselves? No, we're supposed to allow that to navigate our lives and how we treat other people. That's why we love God and then we love others. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. You'll you'll take care of all these other things. Coveting won't be an issue. Adultery won't be an issue because you wouldn't do that because you love God and you love other people. All these things that, 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 that he talks about, lying, backbiting, divisiveness, we wouldn't do those things because I'm going to love my neighbor. I wouldn't want that done to me. I'm going to find a way to love without strings attached. I want God to work that in my heart and show me the areas of my life that I'm not allowing love to be the focus of. Because he is love. And he's trying to lead us and guide us into all truth and help us grow in sanctification, help us to grow in changing and becoming more and more like Jesus so that that light can get brighter and brighter and pierce through the darkness. You see, the temptation is to get stuck in my right thinking. That I'm right and everyone else is wrong. And I get distracted. It's a trap of the enemy. It's a slick trap. It's a, it's a sly trap that would want to sneak into your life and say, hey, you know you're right. They're really wrong. You are the best driver in the world. Everybody else is terrible. They should take lessons from you because you're awesome. You know everyone else at your job is a moron. You're the only person there that knows what they're doing. I mean, goodness, it's not that hard after all. A child could do it. We think that way. We think that way towards our spouses. We think that way towards our employers. We think that way towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible says that we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we should. And that's what he's talking about there. Because when we do, then we're more focused on us being right instead of us serving other people with love. And we miss the point. We miss the point when we do that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. He said, then love your neighbor as yourself. Because focused love is a light to the world. You want to know what focused love does? 
It brings unity to the family. brings unity to the body of Christ. It brings unity, and it is someone who is a peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. It didn't say blessed are the people who are always right and let everybody know about it. It said blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the sons of God. Now that doesn't mean that sometimes that truth isn't uncomfortable and love isn't uncomfortable because we know that's the way that God loves us. Sometimes we have to do hard things and tell people hard things. But it's still us loving them. We do it in humility, not in a spirit of rightness. You understand what I'm saying? You understand the difference this morning? Because... There's a difference between me loving someone and giving them truth because I love them and me wanting them to see how right I am. I would rather it point people to Jesus than point people to me because I'm not the answer. Jesus is. Amen? Amen. And the same Jesus that lives on the inside of me and dwells on the inside of me is leading and guiding me into all truth. He wants to do the same in your life. Amen? Focus love is our light to the world because it brings unity. We're called to be light bearers in the darkness. That means the more we walk in love towards God and towards one another, the brighter God's light is going to shine through us. The more we grow in sanctification and holiness before God and man, the more we show how the love of God has transformed us and continues to transform us. So here's what we need to do. We need to allow the truth of God's Word and the truth that His Holy Spirit is leading us into to lead and guide us into heart change and heart change into brokenness and brokenness into repentance and repentance will turn into us glorifying God through love and truth setting our heart free. That's what we need to do. Allow His love and His truth to lead us to heart change. It's His love that's doing that. That's helping us to grow on this journey of sanctification, helping us to grow on this journey of showing the world His love and truth that has set us free. So even though I'm in the world, I don't have to be of the things of the world. I don't have to allow the culture of darkness to dictate the way that I live my life, even if they say it's okay. Hey, it's not okay for me and my household because you can go and serve your gods on the other side of the river if you want to, but like Joshua says, for me and my house... We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to make the decision to walk in the light. Even though we're going to struggle, we'll be tempted, we'll be tried, we'll probably stumble and fall. But at the same time, we know where our source is. And we're not going to allow ourselves to be in bondage and just accept it as okay or as accepted as normal. Because darkness is not normal in my life. Amen? Amen? I want to be that light that's shining through the darkness. Giving people hope. Showing people the way, the truth, and the life. Showing people that there is hope for their salvation. Showing them that God does love them. Showing them the great price that He paid for them. Because I understand the great price He paid for me. It doesn't say, so God, for God so loved just a handful of people. That He really liked and everybody else. Too bad, so sad. <laughs> the Bible says, for God so loved the world. That He did what? He served. He gave His only Son. Jesus, who came to this world to say... I didn't come here to be served. I came here to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. I came here to wash your feet and then command you to do the same. I came here to say that the world's going to know that you follow me and that you're disciples of me if you have love one for another. So if we focus on loving God and loving people, he's going to transform our heart through his word and his Holy Spirit. Amen?
Would you bow your head? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.